This morning, I want to start a new sermon series, and I want to entitle it, Famous Sayings of the Bible That Aren't Really There. You see, you and I have a lot of sayings that sound very biblical, but really aren't in the Bible. A whole lot of our faith, what we believe, gets developed because of what we see on TV, what we see in the movies, what people tend to hear. And these old sayings will just be running around. And so there's lots of things that you and I will say or believe, and yet we really don't think them out. And what do they mean? And so I thought it would be worthwhile for us to go through some of these sayings that, that I hear all the time and try to compare those with scriptures and then kind of see what you really do believe. Now let me just say right up front, I'm not expecting as we go through this series for you to agree with everything that the pastors are going to wind up saying. That's not the goal. The goal is to make you think. I hope that what you hear on a Sunday morning will make you go away and think, all right, I've said this, but here's what the Bible says. Now, what does that really mean and what do I believe? And, and I hope that it will simply make you think so that at the end of the series, you will have grown in your faith and have a better thought-out faith that is meaningful to you. So if we accomplish that, then I will consider this a very successful sermon series. I thought we would start this morning with the old statement that I hear all the time, everything happens for a reason. That's not in the Bible. Everything happens for a reason. We tend to say that when something bad has happened when someone is struggling or hurting, when there's been some sort of pain, then we say, well, everything happens for a reason. We say that because we really don't know why things happened and we don't really have anything else to say. Somehow we believe that that will be comforting, comforting because nobody likes to suffer without meaning. If you and I are struggling and hurting, we want meaning in our suffering. And when you say everything happens for a reason, it, it does give that hint, you're going to learn something from this. It might be better because of this. And so it's somehow going to make things better that it happened for a reason. But if you stop and think about it, when you say everything happens for a reason, you're also saying God is the reason this happened to you. If it happened for a reason, then it means somebody must have been in control that forced it to happen. That's God. God is the reason you are having this problem, you are suffering, you are struggling. If you believe that God now controls all things and makes all things happen, you're really starting to flirt with what's called predestination. Predestination is a belief that God decides before you're even born who's going to be saved and who's going to be damned. That God will control all things, knows everything that's going to happen in your life. When you read Paul, the Apostle Paul, you will see that there are times that Paul will talk about something being predestined, foreknown. But I think what Paul is saying there will differ from what gets developed by St. Augustine in the 4th century. 
It is St. Augustine who really fleshes out and develops the theory of double predestination. You're born to be saved or you're born to be damned and God's going to control all things throughout your life. It's already all known. That's what Augustine began to create. Many people would talk about predestination all the way up till you get to the 1500s and you got John Calvin. John Calvin in Switzerland in the Reformed Church and he's big into predestination and it inspires John Knox in Scotland and a good Scottish Presbyterian who bases his whole faith on predestination. And that's what the Presbyterians were known to believe. For centuries, it was about predestination. And then you get to the 1700s and you have John Wesley and George Whitfield. They are two giants in their faith. Both are good men. They would be involved in this Methodist movement. George Whitfield believed in predestination. John Wesley believed in free will. Wesley believed you have choice. How your life goes is not predetermined. You get to choose. You get to choose how you live. You get to choose how you will treat people. You get to choose what you will do. It's not all preordained. There's freedom of choice. Well, he believed in free will. Whitfield believed in predestination. And so they were great friends, but they would write letters to each other that were smoking. I mean, they really explained clearly to the other person, you don't know what you're talking about. And man, they really went at it. But in the end, when George Whitfield died, he left in his will that said, only John Wesley can do my funeral. And when John Wesley did his funeral, he said, there is no greater saint in the church than George Whitfield. And if there's anyone you can be assured is in the kingdom of heaven, it is George. And I just got to tell you, I like that. The idea that we can disagree theologically and we can still be friends and respect each other. I hope that's what can happen for us as we go through this sermon series. But I also hope it can happen for us as we deal with other issues anytime it comes that we can disagree theologically and still respect and be friends. It was John Wesley who said, I believe in free will. You get to choose. It's not predetermined. Whenever he talked about this subject, he would usually get around to this scripture that we read in our scripture lesson this morning, where St. Paul would ultimately say, all things work together for good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Now please hear what Paul did not say. He did not say, all things that happen are good. To say that everything that happens is good is to treat lightly the suffering and the pain and the struggles in life. Paul didn't say that everything that happens is good. Paul did not also say everything that happens is caused by God. He didn't say that. What he said was all things, things that are good and bad, joyful and painful, all things can work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That's what I want us to think about this morning. 
And there's three things that I want us to see. First of all, what we're really dealing with here is the old struggle. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's the struggle with evil, the problem of evil down through the centuries. It's the struggle that when bad things happen, painful, hurtful things to good people, we want to be able to tell them why. We want an answer. Why did this happen? And so we don't have an answer. And we say, well, just know everything happens for a reason. But when you and I are asking the question, why did this happen? I think we're asking the wrong question. Because it's a question that really has no answer. When I was a young man, I read a book, Tracks of a Fellow Struggler, um, uh, by John Claypool. John Claypool at that time was a Baptist preacher. He would ultimately end his career as an Episcopal priest. He wrote many books, and, and I thought he was very insightful. This was a number of decades ago now. He was a Baptist preacher in Louisville when his daughter, Laura Lou, developed leukemia. Now, decades ago, we didn't have near so many treatments as we have today. They were trying to do everything they could for her. She was eight years old. They would give her treatments for a while. She went into remission and started to get better. But then things turned, and she began to really suffer. He knelt at her bedside night after night, praying for her life. They tried everything they could with doctors. But when she turned 10 years old, Laura Lou died. It put him into terrible grief. He truly was a struggler. And as he moved through this all, he would ultimately look back and say, you know, I tried for a while blaming God. You did this. But I didn't find comfort or strength in blaming God. I tried to say things like, well, everything will happen for a reason. That did not bring me comfort or strength. And he struggled and struggled until finally he came to say, you know, I don't think asking the question why is the right question. It has no answer. I've discovered the question to ask is, what do I do now that this has happened? And when I began asking, what do I do? Then I began to find God's presence giving me strength and direction to heal. And he said, what I discovered was, when I'm asking, what do I do now that this has happened? I began to feel that I was being led into a spirit of gratitude. Not grateful that Laura Lou died. No, there was still grief over all the memories that would not be made, that he would never walk her down the aisle when she got married. He would never celebrate grandchildren with her. But he could either focus his life on all that he was going to miss out on, or he could focus on all those good times we had, the memories we made, the love we shared, a promise of eternal life. Now, when he shifted the question being asked from why to what are you asking me to do, he began to find healing and strength and God speaking to his life. When you're asking a question why, you're asking the wrong question. And when you don't know what the answer is, 
it sure is easy to say, well, everything happens for a reason. God must have obviously done this to you. You'll get something from it. That's not what Paul says. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord. This past Thursday, I conducted a funeral service in here for a longtime member of our church, Ina Mae Schlegel. Ina Mae was a member of this church for more than 65 years. She was a part when this sanctuary was built and was able to be here to celebrate when we moved into our beautiful facility. As I began learning more and more about her life, I, her husband Marvin and the kids told me about a, a tradition that they had started so many years ago. What they had started early on was one of them, either one, could say, This is the day the Lord hath made. And the other one would then have to finish it. We will rejoice and be glad in it. They did it with the grandkids. It was something they did as a family. And what a great thing to be able to say when life is good and something wonderful's happened and you're full of gratitude. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. But they also found it's a good statement to make when you're struggling and you're barely holding on. This is the day the Lord hath made. God is present. And we are grateful for God's grace. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. You see, they had those days. They had two sons, Mark and Matthew. When Matthew was six years old, they diagnosed him with tuberous sclerosis. It's kind of a rare disease. They worked so hard to get best medical care, to love him, to care for him. He would live five years, but he would die when he was 11 years old. You know, to love a child and to live with them and having a terminal illness, I don't know that there's anything maybe more difficult than that. To love your child and to care and do everything you can to try to help them, and you know they're going to die. That does something to a person's spirit if you're not careful. And we also know that there's a huge percentage of marriages that end in divorce when a child dies. But that did not happen. They'd be married 67 years, and she still had a wonderful spirit. And I believe it's because of being able to say, this is the day the Lord hath made. That are times of joy and times of sorrow. Because of God's grace, we can be grateful. We'll rejoice in it. You know, how God moves in our lives really is a mystery. I saw a wonderful interview with Billy Graham years ago by Barbara Walters. And I thought it was so very telling because, you know, Billy Graham was so very famous. And, you know, everybody saw him in his different conventions where he would be. But he was being interviewed. He'd retired now. And Barbara Walters asked him, said, has anything changed in your ministry? Has anything changed in your beliefs over all these years? And Billy Graham said, yes. He said, when I was young, I felt like I needed to have all the answers. I needed to be able to explain why this happened. I needed to be able to explain what is heaven like, what is death like. I needed to have the answers. Now that I'm older, you know, I'm a lot less clear on the specifics. But I'm a lot more clear about God's grace and His love. 
sometimes when you don't know, why did it happen? It's okay to say, I don't know why this happened. What I do know is all things can work together for good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. I don't know why bad things have happened to you, but I know all things can work together for good of those who love the Lord. So secondly, I believe very much that God does seek to bless your life. Remember, we've said faith. Faith is not a set of beliefs. Faith is learning to trust in God's constant love of us, His children. If you trust in God's love for you, then why, when something bad happens, do you immediately want to blame God as the bad guy? And yet we do it all the time because we don't know why. But if you trust that God's constant love for you, His child, and something bad happens, why do we have to blame God? Again, one of those books that I read when I was just a young man, Leslie D. Weatherhead wrote a book entitled The Will of God. Leslie D. Weatherhead was a great preacher in London so many years ago. But he talks about how a friend of his in India had a, had a, a son, a toddler, who developed cholera. And Leslie was there with him to be taking care of his son. And the little boy died. And Leslie was standing there with his friend beside this bed. And his friend turned to him and said, Leslie, it is the will of God and we must accept it. And Weatherhead said, if there was a man who slipped up the back stairs of your house and he had a handkerchief full of cholera germs and he had slipped into your child's bedroom and got around the mosquito netting and put this on your child's mouth and your child now developed cholera and died, what would you say? And this man flared up and said, I would hunt that man down, a madman. I would break his neck with my own hands. I would kill him. Why would you say such a thing? And Weatherhead said, well, isn't that what you just said about God? Didn't you just put God in the category of a madman? The one who would slip into your son's bedroom and give him cholera? If we want to say, why did your son die from cholera, maybe we should say, the government did not pay attention to sanitation in this city. Maybe we should say, we have not chosen to spend enough money on research on how to cure cholera. We could come up with a whole lot of reasons why your son died, but we don't have to blame it on God. But that's what we tend to do. And what we sometimes forget is there is free will in this world and that people get to choose how to act and they can choose hatred and they can choose evil and they can be so mean. That's not God's will. When you and I are hearing about what happened on the London Bridge, the reason it happened, it's not God. It's people who chose hatred and evil. 
And is it too much to say that the people who were killed and hurt, it didn't happen for a reason. It was random. They're in the wrong place, the wrong time. Is it too much to say things happen that make God grieve? You know, when someone gets sick and they're going to die, we immediately say, well, God's causing that. Wait a minute. Let me tell you, you're going to die. Everybody is going to die. Within your DNA coded, we all already have a problem that one day will take our life. Maybe when we're young, maybe when we are old. It's not God who's doing it to you. It is life. We will die. When I think about the Murrah bombing, why? It wasn't God's will. It was two men full of hate who were willing to build a bomb and park it right outside of a nursery. And the grief it caused all of us, everything happens for a reason. Well, the only reason there was hate. It wasn't God. It was hate. And so many people would suffer. Our belief is God wants to bless our lives. Faith is trusting in God's constant goodwill towards us, His children. But we live in a world of free will. We live in a world where random things happen. We live in a world where we will die. When things happen, why do we have to immediately turn and blame God? And so third, I believe that how God's love works in our life is a great mystery, but I believe His love is at work in our lives. And that God is always seeking to bless our lives, but quite often we don't have eyes to see or ears to hear or a heart that is ready to feel. If you go back to the saying, all things work together for good, of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. That is, are you loving God and loving your neighbor? That's God's purpose. If you're living in a spirit of love, then it's amazing how you're able to have your eyes open and see how maybe God is trying to bless your life in mysterious ways that you and I don't fully understand. But if we're full of hatred, if we're full of bitterness, if we're full of anxiety... We may not see how God is trying to speak to us, but I believe God tries to speak. You know, I did a wedding here last night, and, and that's one of the good things I get to do. It's fun because I always ask a couple, tell me your story, how did you meet? And I've, I've had lots of interesting stories through the years, but there, there was a story 15, 20 years ago now that I've never forgotten. Because I, I said to the couple, so how did you meet? And they both kind of got excited and said, well, we really believe God brought us together. And the man spoke up and said, one night I was babysitting a couple of little girls, two girls, for a friend of mine. He was 32 years old, never had been married. He was babysitting these little girls to be nice, and, and he, he needed to take them out to dinner. He wasn't going to cook dinner. He wanted to go to Wendy's. He said to them, where do you want to go? And they said, McDonald's. They said, we went to McDonald's. 
We got to McDonald's. We were the only people in the whole place. But while we were standing there, in came this lady who was babysitting two boys. And they were something of the same age, and we got together standing there in line to order, and the kids got to playing, and we got to talking, and we ordered dinner. Well, now we were the only six in there. We went over and sat down together, and we, we talked, and we had dinner, and the kids started playing, having a good time, and she was just so easy to visit with. We just talked, and we just laughed, and it was such a good time. Finally, we got ready to go. I asked for her phone number. We got in the car, and the little girl started saying, You've got a girlfriend. You've got a girlfriend. He said, you know, I'd never gotten married because my mama told me this is important. You make sure you do it right. But I called her. And we talked. And so we started to date. And a year and a half later, here we are. He said, I really do believe God led us together. I just never would have dreamed I'd have found my wife while I was ordering off the menu in McDonald's. I said, you know, I believe God brought you together too. In ways we don't always understand, I believe those grace moments happen if our eyes are ready to see and our ears are ready to hear. God does bring healing. All things work together for good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. It's not that God causes all things. Or not that all things are good. Some things are so hurtful and painful. And I believe just like the statue downtown, God weeps. But I also believe God is always seeking healing to lead us back into life. If we are prepared to do that. It was probably close to 20 years ago. A member of this church, Dr. Jim Fennell, great man, invited me to to be a part of a program with the Oklahoma County um, Medical Association. They're having what they call doctor for a day. They, they wanted different leaders in the community to experience what was life like for a doctor. And so they were inviting people to come and, and you could sign up to do something in the morning and something in the evening. And I decided to sign up and I wanted to be involved in surgery, which I think is kind of ironical that I now have a son who's coming home as a surgeon. I wanted to be involved in surgery. And so I had to sign up for two different things. I signed up for anesthesiology and then to be with a surgeon. That way it would keep me in the OR all day long. And oh my goodness gracious, in the afternoon I got to see open heart surgery. Now if you've never stood beside someone when their chest is cracked open and you're looking at their heart, you've missed something. I mean, wow. I mean, you talk about amazing. But in the morning we had surgery for a woman who had colon cancer. And now as we we're getting ready to go do this first surgery, I got to be honest, I was a little anxious. I'm thinking, man, how am I going to do? And we start seeing all this blood and we start cutting. I mean, I, I don't want to get queasy. I don't want to faint and embarrass myself. I don't, I don't want to fall and hurt somebody. So I'm feeling a little anxious about this as we go in, but I'm also wanting to see and I'm not going to back off. So we get in there and, and the doctor began to cut. And, of course, she starts to bleed. But, but they had an instrument, and they began to cauterize her. And they would cauterize all these little blood vessels, and it would stop the bleeding. And they'd kind of clean out the blood, and they'd cut some more, and she'd start to bleed, and they'd cauterize those blood vessels, and they'd clean, cut some more. It actually wasn't near as bloody as I thought it was going to wind up being. 
and they were able to move in fairly quickly as they'd cut and cauterize and cut. And, and finally they got down and they were able to do what they needed to do. And we felt it was going to be very successful. And now it was done. And I'm thinking to myself, I want to see how we get out of here. Getting in was fairly easy. How are you going to hook up all these blood vessels when you start coming back out? All these things we cauterized as you went in, how do you get out of here? And I'm thinking, this is going to take a while when they suddenly take her and kind of bring her back together, take a few stitches, pull together the top, bang, 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 stapled her together. Man, I'd never seen that before. We stapled her back together, boom, we're done. I looked over at my mask at the doctor and said, I got a few questions I'd like to ask. <laughs> we headed back to the doctor's lounge and I said, okay, and I saw you going in and it wasn't near as bloody as I thought the way you'd cauterize off these blood vessels so we could get in. But I thought in the end, you'd have to go back and hook them up. I thought you'd have to go back and hook up all these things you cut and cauterized in order to get the blood to flow again. And the doctor just smiled and said, Bob, that's the miracle of healing. When we bring her back together like that, well, the blood, it's never going to flow the way that it did. But the blood will find new pathways around where we cut and where we cauterized those blood vessels. The blood will find a new pathway around it and begin to move into the rest of the body and that's what produces healing. It's an incredible miracle. And I immediately thought, that's what God does for us. There are times in life when you are cut deep. When you have been cut off and you are hurt. But it is the grace of God that pulls us back together again. And the spirit of life is never going to flow the way it used to. It'll flow a different way. Around with a cut, around where it's now been cut off, it will flow again so that there is healing and there is life. It's God's grace and it is a miracle. Things happen that are hurtful. Because of free will, randomness, because in the end, our bodies die. Everything happens for a reason. All things work together for good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. The last one really is in the Bible. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.